This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 28, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Is the disputed territory of the South China Sea really worth a war? A new paper from the Cato Institute provides a threat assessment of the Chinese policy regarding the South China Sea. Cato's John Glazer and Eric Gomez comment on the risks of war in the South China Sea. So there are overlapping territorial, uh, maritime territorial claims in the South China Sea between uh, China, the Philippines, Vietnam, a few other claimants, and the United States' is allies with uh, one of the claimants, the Philippines, uh, seeks a better relationship with Vietnam and is worried about China's influence in the region in general. So the United States wants to maintain an order in the region that benefits itself, um, and the Chinese want to not upend it, but to adjust it in a way that benefits them, and that's causing most of the friction. All right. To you, John Glazer, then, uh, does the United States have any sort of fuzzy promise of protection for any of the countries that are involved in this dispute? Yeah. So we have a very hard, uh, not fuzzy, clear, in fact, uh, commitment to the Philippines to defend their territory if they come under attack. Um, so we do, in fact, have commitments in the region and we promise to uphold the uh, the security of and the defense of a lot of the claimants that oppose China. Um, the problem with that is that are those those promises can tend to incentivize reckless behavior on the part of the the allies. So they feel lots of uh, motivation to stand up to a much stronger China if they feel the United States has their back, and that can create a kind of moral hazard problem in the South China Sea. In 2012, we saw the Philippines kind of stand up to China in a naval standoff, uh, and that uh, was potentially destabilizing. Um, the other argument that there is to, to suggest that the United States needs to be really involved in this kind of local dispute that are, that's really remote from our interests is to uphold international order. The reason I don't find that convincing is because China is in good company in ignoring the precepts of international law. Uh, most great powers don't in fact uh, pay too much attention to international law if it, if it conflicts with their interests. Um, China in general sees the United States having 60 percent of its naval assets in the Asia Pacific. We support and defend uh, most of China's neighboring rivals. And so it, it gets uncomfortable with the notion that um, one of its main trade routes through the Malacca Straits and up through the South China Sea uh, could be interdicted by the United States and interrupted. And so they're seeking to claim more area in the region. And uh, you know I think that can be expected. Has the United States ever made some specific promise to a country of protection of their territory and then said, well, we can't do that anymore, at least in the 20th century. Has that ever happened? To Taiwan, yes. Um, the United States used to have a formal treaty, really, uh, defense treaty with the Taiwanese and also um, stationed troops there. And when we switched diplomatic recognition over from Taiwan uh, to mainland China, now you know the PRC, um, that ended our uh, alliance relationship with Taiwan. Now, we do maintain arms sales with Taiwan, and there is the Taiwan Relations Act, which stipulates that in the event of a conflict, the United States would 
consult and determine an appropriate course of action. What that course of action is remains open to interpretation. Um, but that that's probably the most solid example in Asia of a, you know, a security commitment being downgraded. You know, part of the problem here is that I think uh, people tend to exaggerate the threat that is posed by China's expansive maritime and territorial claims in the South China Sea. Um, there's very little evidence that uh, you know, it threatens the physical security, the territorial sovereignty of the other claimant states. Um, it's not really clear to me at all that China intends to start uh, uh, some kind of land war uh, over these disputes uh, unless it's imposed upon China. The other thing is that you know, the other concern people have is that you know, this could uh, allow China to kind of disrupt trade flows and, uh, and cut off trade routes. Uh, and I don't see that happening either, primarily because such an action would harm China more than anyone. 90% uh, of their uh, incoming trade is, from, uh, is seaborne and it comes from the South China Sea and the Asia Pacific region. So um, there's a tendency to exaggerate the actual threat that these Chinese claims pose. I think, uh, I, think I agree with John for the most part. The one big worry um, I would raise is that while I think an intentional escalation of tension in the South China Sea is a remote possibility, there is the chance that a unintentional um, thing could happen that could spiral out and become something bigger. So for example, in 2001, there was a collision between a US surveillance plane and a Chinese fighter jet in the South China Sea, which actually led to the loss of life of, a, of the Chinese pilot and a diplomatic standoff. Um, I think the big concern with a similar thing happening today is that Donald Trump's overall policy towards East Asia um, is continuing on with Obama's uh, pivot policy in general terms uh, from the military perspective of increasing uh, U.S. presence and um, if not necessarily increasing commitments, then you know, reaffirming that the United States is there to stay. But he's also ditched the economic aspects of the pivot. So the policies are becoming much more militarized overall. And on North Korea in particular, you have a relationship where Trump thinks that China sh has responsibility for resolving the North Korea problem and has indicated a willingness to pressure China economically and politically in order to force them to do more on North Korea. So overall, I think you have two things happening. You have a militarized U.S. foreign policy coupled with a general deterioration in U.S.-China relations brought on by the North Korea problem. And when you have that sort of general deterioration in the relationship, then any sort of accident in the South China Sea could become harder to manage. Um, it could become harder to communicate between uh, the U.S. and China to resolve that peacefully. Yeah, and the best way to resolve that kind of problem is for the Trump administration to, on the on the one hand, uh, open itself up to uh, a more diplomatic approach to China, but also the region in general, uh, and also to have real clear policies. Right now, part of the problem in the South China Sea is it's not clear what the Trump administration's policy is. Um, some of the statements from cabinet level officials have been just plainly contradictory. Um, and then, you know, in the past several months, there really hasn't been much news at all coming from the administration on how to, 
how to how to pursue its policies in the in the South China Sea. So, clarity of purpose, what our actual role is going to be, being clear about that, and being more open to a diplomatic approach, can really mitigate the risk of inadvertent escalation as a result of accidents or, or what have you. Well, where is Rex Tillerson on this? Certainly, he's no stranger to negotiating these uh, multilateral international type deals. Uh, is he at least appreciative of the fact that the United States does not have a specific uh, dog in this fight? You know, Rex Tillerson during his uh, confirmation hearing um, had a, took a very hard line on the South China Sea. He promised to really stand up to China. And he said that, uh, you know, we would do more freedom of navigation operations. We would really uh, clearly stand up to China. Uh, since then, he's taken a more moderate approach. Uh, he seems to uh, – my guess is that he understands the issue. I mean he's from ExxonMobil. He dealt with competing territorial maritime claims. You know, there's a lot of hydrocarbon reserves in this region. Uh, so I, I, my guess is that he understands it full well. Um, but he's also kind of – to use a term that Trump has uh, recently used for another official of his, he seems to be beleaguered. He seems to be marginalized within the administration. It seems to there seems to be a big gap between what he wants to do diplomatically and what Trump emphasizes on a military level, um, and so it's hard to say how much uh, leeway he has as Secretary of State. And on other foreign policy issues, Tillerson and Trump have outright contradicted one another. Uh, most notably, dealing with the ongoing problem in Qatar, where uh, you know or Tillerson came out saying that the United States would support Qatar and wanted to find a peaceful resolution to the problem. And then Donald Trump either said or tweeted uh, something that suggested a much harder line approach um, against Qatar. So it, what Tillerson thinks of all this um, could be immaterial uh, depending on you know if Trump decides to contradict him. And I think that raises um, something that John talked about with just um, no certainty of purpose here, no clarity. Uh, and I think that it's there hasn't been a, consider, a considerable effort to resolve that. John Glazer is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Eric Gomez is a policy analyst for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. The new paper, A Balanced Threat Assessment of China's South China Sea Policy, is now available at Cato.org. <laughs>